Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. You're listening to Everything is Interesting, right here on KXRY X-Ray Portland. And we're in the studio to talk science with our friend Emily Gilliland. Hi, Emily. Hello, ladies. Now, I have to ask, were either of you named after Kira and Xanadu, one of my very yes. favorite? Were yes. you really? I, Xanadu and also the Dark Crystal. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Oh, oh, I love the movie Xanadu. <laughs> I wear roller skates when no one's looking. You got a combo. You got both. I do. <laughs> So on our last episode, we talked about the role death plays in our ecosystems and in our lives, and we introduced the mysterious psychedelic molecule DMT. So today, we're going to explore the possible link between naturally occurring DMT and near-death experience. I am so excited about this. Yes. Well, it's good. It's a good topic, uh, especially actually because our very own Kira has actually had a near-death experience. Really? Yep, true. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, when I was 17, um, I had pretty bad asthma, and I caught walking pneumonia, and the two things coupled uh, caused my lungs to seize up, <gasps> and my heart stopped. Wait, do you actually remember that? Yeah. When your heart stopped? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> do you want to hear about it? Yes, please. Okay, so... Um, it sort of felt like waking up from a million-year nap... And then suddenly I was in this place, which was like more real than life had ever been. But it's not really accurate to call it a place. Um, Time and space do not exist there. And uh, it was just awareness. It was just consciousness and this feeling of like perfect peace and love. Mm -hmm. And I was aware that somewhere the reality I had just left, which is this reality we're in now, still existed. And that it was, you know, there was this stuff called matter and it was moving through a dimension called time. And um, there was this human body that I had been inhabiting that went by the name of Kira. That's you. Yes, it's me. It's me now. It's me now, but it wasn't then. Um, and, you know, I was also aware that I had a choice about whether or not I could come back to this reality. And either decision would have been just fine. And, you know, I decided that I still had things that I would like to accomplish as Kira in the three-dimensional reality. So when my body was ready, I came back. Wow. So that felt like totally real to you. Oh, yes. And oh, you yes. you had a choice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. It's hard to explain this in, you know, human words, but it was more real than this life will ever be. And I'm absolutely positive that I went somewhere else. But of course, I can't scientifically prove that what I experienced wasn't an incredibly vivid hallucination. One possibility is that Kira's near-death experience was actually triggered by the release of this chemical in her body called DMT. The subject of DMT is pretty dense. That'd be pretty dense. So uh, we sought out the expertise of Dr. Rick Strassman, author of the popular book and film documentary, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. My name's Rick Strassman. I guess my claim to fame is that I studied DMT in uh, the early 1990s, and that was the first uh, new American clinical research with a psychedelic drug in uh, pretty much a generation. 
Dr. Strassman is a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatry and psychopharmacology. He holds degrees from Stanford and Albert Einstein College of Medicine. He has served as a tenured professor and administrator at several universities and has authored or co-authored over 40 peer-reviewed scientific papers. So, you know, he knows his stuff. In the 1990s, Dr. Strassman's research team was given federal clearance and funding to study the effects of DMT on the human body using the modern tools of psychopharmacology, the study of how medicines affect one's mood, thinking, and behavior. One of his motivations was to determine if DMT effects were like those naturally occurring psychedelic states experienced during birth, mystical experiences, deep meditation, and, of course, near-death experiences. Over the course of five years, Strassman administered over 400 doses of DMT to nearly five dozen volunteers at the General Clinic Research Center of the University of New Mexico Hospital, and his team carefully monitored its physiological effects. So DMT is a powerful psychedelic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it's taken in large doses, DMT facilitates changes in visual, audio, and spatial perception. Um, DMT is also the active ingredient in the traditional South American medicine, ayahuasca, which produces similar mystical experiences. If you've never read about any of those, I highly suggest it. Um, but DMT also exists naturally in your body in much smaller concentrations. Well, so DMT stands for dimethyltryptamine, which is a chemical cousin of serotonin and of melatonin. And it's ubiquitous in life. It's found in hundreds, if not thousands of plants and every mammal that's been looked at, including humans. So cool. The chemical structure of DMT, it's similar to that of serotonin. You've probably heard of that one. Um, Serotonin is a particularly important neurotransmitter for which there are countless receptors throughout our bodies. And when a serotonin molecule binds to its receptor, it sends out sort of this unique signal pattern to all the cells in our body. Uh, Things like regulate, regulate stuff like mood, perception, and thought. But, like putting a different record on the same turntable, when the similarly shaped DMT molecule binds to a serotonin receptor, it initiates a completely different signal to the body. And this unfamiliar pattern is what results in altered cognition and perception and, you know, often includes hallucinations and the feeling of being somewhere other than this reality. So it's triggering those psychedelic effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much with the binding to the serotonin receptors and all. Um, but the crazy thing is, is DMT is being made inside your body right now. But there are specific enzymes which are responsible for DMT synthesis, you know, from tryptophan. It's you know just a two-step process, and it's just beginning to be uh, looked into. They've cloned the gene, which you know produces you know the necessary final enzyme, and they've characterized it. So chemically, DMT is derived from the amino acid tryptophan, which is incredibly common. And many organisms, including us humans, possess the genetic blueprints for the two key enzymes that convert tryptophan to DMT. Pretty cool, huh? Hmm. And equally incredible is that our bodies go to great lengths to transport DMT into our brains. Let's see. I think it was in the late you know, 1970s, early 1980s, um, a Japanese team you know, demonstrated that you know, DMT is actively transported across the blood-brain barrier using energy. And a study from Brazil a few years ago confirmed that. That research team from Tohoku University in Japan published their findings in the International Journal Journal of Applied Radiation and Isotopes in 1985. Actively transporting substances across the blood-brain barrier is a huge deal. It's a huge deal, guys. It's amazing. 
The semi-permeable protective shield is highly selective about what molecules can pass from the bloodstream into the brain tissue. So some small molecules like water can passively flow through tiny holes in the barrier. But for DMT to get into the brain, the body has to make a DMT-shaped door in the blood-brain barrier and then expend energy to usher it through that door. Tiny, tiny door. (laughs) Tiny little DMT door. Organisms don't expend energy needlessly, so it's unlikely our bodies would go through all the trouble of both synthesizing and transporting DMT if it didn't serve some purpose to us. But what is that purpose? We don't know for sure. But we think that it might have to do with the way we perceive the world. It's thought that DMT produced within our bodies may help us interpret the vast array of data gathered by our sensory organs. Maybe it helps our brain turn vibrating molecules and bouncing light waves into understandable shapes, colors, and sounds, helping us perceive our physical environment in an understandable and coherent way. Oh, 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 is this like how the matrix works? Like DMT helps me to see this beautiful version of the world instead of just a bunch of code speeding past me on a computer screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the blue pill was full of DMT. Secret has been shared. Somebody make fan fiction for that right quick. Plot Easter eggs yeah. rooted in science. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's not all just conjecture either. No, a team of researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison found that the enzymes necessary to synthesize DMT are found in abundance in the eyes, which could help explain the strong visual experiences reported by the patients in Dr. Strassman's clinical studies. When given DMT, some saw or or, or reported seeing bright, intense colors that were a hundred times deeper than normal. They saw cosmic doors, playful clowns, and sentient sort (laughs) of non-human entities. Some even reported being able to see in what they described as four or more dimensions. I mean, stuff got really weird and really specific. I always want to see in four dimensions. Me too. So so DMT in your eyes might be causing hallucinations. Uh, that's the theory. I mean, you know, all this stuff is conjecture. It's so hard to prove because we can't take instruments with us into, you know, wherever. Yeah, how do you DMT measure perceptions? Us too. I have True. no idea. So, okay, this is what I think, and this is like absolute conjecture. This is kind of stuff my brain comes up with at 2 in the morning after I've been thinking about this for 7,000 hours. We were up at 2 in the morning. It's true. We were up at 2 in the morning. So, okay, here's my thought. There are three options to explain these visual experiences. Number one, DMT is doing something to your eyes and other sensory organs that makes you straight up hallucinate. Number two, two, it's allowing you to perceive a level of reality that's like always there and we're always in it, but we can't usually see it. My thought is it's sort of like blotting out the sun and the rest of reality is like stars that we can't see until this version of reality is blotted out this week. You, you want to talk more? Email me. We'll talk more. Number three, DMT allows your consciousness to detach from your body and go to this place that is realer than real. So what you're saying that DMT could either sort of be creating illusions by directly acting upon your body, so like shifting your visual sensory organs, or it could be opening up your body to be perceiving like a wider view of reality? I mean, if you're asking me, do I know this stuff? But that's no, kind of what I don't know saying. any like, of this. But <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, that's, hmm. that's what I think after doing quite a lot of reading about this. Well, we asked Dr. Strassman what he thought about the matter. Yeah, that's the whole you know, question of is what you undergo on DMT the apprehension of you know something outside or you know, something you know, generated from within. I think obviously it's going to you know, turn out to be some combination of 
both. We're not going to be able to you know, see things out there without a brain and without eyes. But to uh, imagine that everything is you know, generated by the brain would, in a way, kind of you know, reduce things in you know, such an extreme manner as to almost have no meaning. The best answer is always a combination of both, right? I, I think <laughs> it's so, yeah. like, let's just say it's all of that and then some. <laughs> Pretty much. Cover all your bases. Yeah. Right. And so figuring out what DMT is doing to affect our sensory organs would have major impacts on how we understand the psychedelic experience and how we interpret reality. But like, we're still a very long way off from knowing. I think that's going to be a very long-term course of research. Uh, it's going to take hundreds of years, perhaps. But it's worth, you know, thinking about. Absolutely worth thinking about. If you're just tuning in, this is Everything is Interesting. With the help of Dr. Rick Strassman, we're exploring the mystery of the psychedelic substance DMT. So, what we've learned f- so far, let me see if I've got this. DMT is pretty much in all living things. Mm-hmm. As far as we know. We synthesize it in our bodies. Mm-hmm. We actively transport it into our brains Which through, is crazy. through DMT it's doors. The little DMT With the door. little baby DMT doors. So it clearly has <laughs> some purpose in our lives. Maybe it even influences the way we perceive reality. So if it has a purpose to our living bodies, why why do we think it is also involved in our death? Okay, so the theory is that DMT is thought to be released in large quantities as we die. But as you can imagine, it's pretty hard to gather data related to the moments just before someone (laughs) dies. You're like, can I just stick this needle in your brain real quick? So we don't have concrete evidence that this is the case. But based on what we have been able to measure about the brain during death, the release of DMT would make sense. Here's Dr. Strassman again. There are big spikes in electrical activity of the brain as it's dying. And, you know, the release of a slew of neurotransmitters, including epinephrine, norepinephrine, at the time of death as well, in the brain. These are hormones being produced by the brain. Epinephrine and norepinephrine are our fight-or-flight hormones released during stress. And they're also the neurotransmitters that activate our pineal gland. The pineal gland is situated deep inside the brain. Dr. Strassman noted that while we've known for over 50 years that the lungs produce DMT, recent studies are showing that the pineal gland also contains it. The pineal gland's main function is to produce melatonin, one of the chemical cousins of DMT. It already contains the necessary materials to synthesize DMT, so it would make sense if this was the primary DMT factory of the body, and it would also make sense that this is where it would be released from as we die. We know that epinephrine and noepinephrine stimulate the pineal gland during times of stress. So Dr. Strassman hypothesizes that because dying is such a stressful moment, Pretty it stressful. would thus stimulate the pineal gland, triggering a large outpouring of the DMT also found there. I think that it makes you know, some sense to propose that levels of DMT in the brain increase at the time of death. And that greater activity of DMT is responsible for certain aspects of the you know, dying experience. A huge release of DMT from the pineal gland during death has the potential to directly influence our sensory and emotional centers. Both the pineal gland and these centers of the brain share cerebrospinal fluid, and this allows chemicals that are secreted by the pineal gland to potentially have immediate access to the areas of our brain that process sensory input. If I understand it correctly, they're like right next to each other. So it's a pretty primo spot if you're trying to influence it. It's like having a Starbucks on every corner. (laughs) 
<laughs> your pineal really. gland. That's a bad analogy. Like a Starbucks on one every be. corner. Oh, that's, that's maybe not just our next t-shirt. Just because they're close. Just because they're... Never mind. Forget that one. Proximity. <laughs> right. So DMT could affect sensory input to our brain, which could affect a near-death experience. And the similarities between NDEs, or near-death experiences, and DMT trips suggest that this may be the case. Many people who've been near death describe experiences similar to the trips of some of Dr. Strassman's DMT patients. We hear accounts of things like tunnels, bright, warm lights, angels and demons, a divine and mystical place where time and space seem to have no meaning at all. Those who receive the highest doses describe being in what they call the soul's waiting room and feeling that one has been there many times before. They also describe this feeling of having been sort of ripped away from their body to get there in the first place. Um, And it's I have to say, it's really similar to what I went through when I almost died. And actually, reading about Dr. Strassman's patients was the first time that I heard anyone describe something similar to what I saw and felt. Like, truthfully, I've gone now almost 20 years without hearing anyone talk about this, the same experience that I had. And so I'm pretty sure that I, too, was in that waiting room. Mm. And yeah, so we're, anyway, wherever I was, nothing existed except my consciousness. And I didn't see a white light, but I did see tunnels. Um, And they each led to a different kind of experience that my consciousness could have if I chose to go down that tunnel. So like one led back to Kira, and one said tree, and one said New York, whatever that means, and one said death. I want to go to tree. (laughs) I'd go to New York. (laughs) (laughs) To be the entire city of New York. Um, Yeah, and and I I knew, like I had already decided that I wanted to take the one back to Kira, but I I couldn't yet because I had to wait for my heart to start beating again. Kind of important, I guess. Yeah, but it was such an interesting place. And uh, while I was there, I checked in to see if I had emotions. Like, did I feel sad to be away from my family and my reality? Or like, was I angry that I was dying? And, um, you know, I realized that emotions, besides like peace and love, are absolutely a chemical product of our human bodies, you know. Um, The only thing that existed was consciousness and peace and love, and it was beautiful, and everything was exactly as it should be. That feeling of peace and serenity is one similarity between near-death experiences and DMT trips that seems to pop up all the time. This has led some researchers to theorize that the purpose of endogenous DMT during death is to help our brains cope. So releasing DMT at death could utilize its reality-altering characteristics. Large doses of DMT released all at once might alter the perception of dying to reduce stress on the brain and ease the experience. It's hard to tell, of course, because it's very difficult to measure things like perception. Yeah, maybe one day. But DMT certainly seems to have a protective effect on the brain's physical cells. So Dr. Rick Strassman explains. It's interesting. If you give DMT to a test tube full of brain cells, more or less, and you starve those brain cells of oxygen, if you give DMT, it reduces the damage that the lower oxygen levels cause in those brain cells. As it turns out, DMT doesn't just fit into serotonin receptors. It also fits snugly into sigma-1 receptors, which play a role in protecting tissue when it's not receiving enough oxygen. If high levels of DMT are released during death, it may be as a last-ditch attempt to minimize damage to our brain cells. So DMT might just have two different jobs, altering our perception and then protecting our brain tissue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, both effects would certainly be handy at the time of death. I think Dr. Strassman sums it up pretty well here. Pieces of the puzzle are coming together in as much as stress increases a number of hormones, which might possibly impact production of DMT. 
especially neurotransmitters. And if you know DMT is protective against hypoxic brain damage, that would be an argument in your favor of its utility being released at the time of death. And if you can you know, correlate the relationships between the DMT state and the near-death state, to the degree those overlap, you have a kind of a tidy package. Tidy well, package. <laughs> a tidy, tidy package. Well, we are pretty confident DMT has some function in the dying process, it's going to take a lot more research before we can concretely explain exactly what that function is. But we have to keep our minds open. I think if you're really going to call yourself a scientist, you need to remain open-minded about uh, things that haven't been established but make a lot of sense. You know, it's good to follow common sense. Man, that can extend in all directions. So, Kara, do you feel like you know what it's like to be dead now? You know, I, I actually have gone the last 13 years, how, how old am I, 16 years, thinking that I did. Um, but I now I'm not so sure. And I was really curious to get Dr. Strassman's opinion on what DMT and near-death experiences can teach us about the nature of death and dying and what it's like to be dead. So I asked him. I don't think it you know, says that much about what it's like to be dead because the near-death experience is just, you know, near death. It's not, you know, the dying state. Or it, it isn't being dead, like in the ground for a month or something. Once the, you know, near-death experience is over and, you know, the death experience takes over, I don't think the NDE necessarily describes what happens after you're dead, only as you're dying. So after all this research about DMT, you know, I don't know that I can explain what happened through the lens of science. And I am not convinced that my experience was a hallucination, but I do definitely think that DMT played a part in what happened to me. So we may not be able to know what dying is like until we finally lose our grip on life completely. But that's not really necessarily a bad thing. Well, I think because we don't know what it's like to be dead, that kind of puts the onus on us in this life to make the most of it. So thank you so much to Dr. Rick Strassman for taking the time to talk with us. And if you want to find out more about his research and order his new book, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, you can go to Rick Strassman, that's R-I-C-K-S-T-R-A-S-S-M-A-N.com. And you can also find him on Facebook. Emily, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you today. Oh, thank you so much, ladies. This has been really interesting. If you want to go roller skate later, Xanadu style, you just let me know. I'm so in. (laughs) And as always, thank you to our X-Ray production team. You guys are awesome. Amalia, Lindsay, Nick, thank you so much. And hey, Sam Underwood, you are the best editor around. We love you. And all the music you heard today comes from X-Ray's own DJ DNA and can be found in uh, programs 159, 160, 162, and 164 of his show San Remo 1985. For this episode of Everything is Interesting, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I am Kira Lindenberg. We will be back in two weeks with more science right here on X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. Bye, guys.